Good morning. Good morning. Hey, you can track today. Uh, we have a note sheet like this. If you're online, you can download this at lifechurchmh.com. There's a place there you'll be able to find it, or our live stream on uh, Facebook Live uh, in the comments section that'll be available as well. Where is the love? Where is the love is our topic today from 1 John 3. And we're going to read uh, this passage, a few verses here, beginning at verse 11. It says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show it, let's show the truth by our actions. Dear God, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your fresh word, Lord, for us. Open our ears, Lord, and do a work in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11, it says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning that we must, we should love one another. And um, in these times that we're living in right now that are very divisive and very polarizing, God would say that to us. Say we must love one another. What does your love level look like right now for your brothers and sisters? in the faith. The word um, there that we should love one another is from agape, it's agapeo, and properly is to prefer to love, is to have preference for, to wish well to, to regard the welfare of, esteem, long for, take pleasure in. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 35, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So if we stuck a thermometer into your heart today and we we wanted to measure the love level in your heart for your brothers and sisters today, where would that register? Where would that be? And I could say, well, the annoyance level might be way up here or the uh, perturbed level or the the uh, bitterness or misunderstanding level might be up here, the confusion level, or the, how is the love level looking in your hearts for your brothers and sisters in the Lord all over the world? If you had to take inventory, is your love level deficient, and how can our heart reservoirs be filled? Again, number one in your notes, love one another. Verse 12, Paul continues, or John continues, we must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. In the book of 1 John, 
um, it, it's a book of contrasting. The entire book is contrasting back and forth between what a, a believer looks like and is and what an unbeliever is. And he's helping the church understand that not everyone who calls himself a Christian or a God follower uh, has the Holy Spirit of God in them. And so he's differentiating throughout the book so that they can discern and be wise and know the realities uh, in which they are living. Here when he speaks of Cain, he's, he's likely referring to the Pharisees and the Jewish uh, religious leaders who are persecuting the Christians at this time and are trying to kill them and who killed Christ. And um, let's talk about Cain. Cain burned with hatred for his brother. And why? Why did he burn with hatred for his brother? Because his brother did what was right and he did what was wrong. So he hated his brother. Let's look at Genesis 4, 2 through 7. It says, when they grew up, it's on the screen, Abel became a shepherd. Oh, I'm, I'm lying here. Genesis 4, 2 through 7, do we have that one? It may be coming, but I'll be reading it. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Cain resented his brother for doing the right thing. Cain did, or Abel did the righteous thing, the correct thing, the innocent thing, the thing that was approved by God. And light exposes darkness. So notice that Abel didn't even confront his brother. He didn't say anything to his brother. He's just doing the right thing. And by doing the right thing, Cain recognizes his own depravity. Cain hardens his heart. If you read on, he kills his brother. He denies guilt. He says, am I my brother's keeper? He responds to God when God asks, where is he? When God gives him a sentence of judgment or punishment, Cain points at God and says, this is too much for me to bear. Never an apology, but uh, telling God he's not fair. Cain hardened his heart. A true Christian is not like Cain. A true Christian is not like Cain. A true Christian does not project their guilt onto another or becomes envious. True Christians take responsibility for their spiritual health not denying or excusing their failures, not blaming others, not excusing their behaviors, uh, their failures, not blaming others, not criticizing the pastors, not undermining the church. That just shows a, a lack of love in the heart. True Christians will not give lip service to God while cursing their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Instead, we humble our hearts before God, we confess our sins, we receive forgiveness through Jesus and we're filled with love of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, um, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40, Jesus was asked the question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And he goes on to tell about the Good Samaritan. Cain fits into that um, uh, description that Paul gives in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Listen to this. Paul says to Timothy, he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud and scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Repeat after me. Say, I I will stay away away from people like that. that. That's what Paul is telling. Timothy was a leader in the church, and he said, stay away from people like that. Verse 3 that we just read, it talked about they'll be unloving and they will be unforgiving. In the Greek, the language says that they will be without natural affection. In the end times, they'll be without natural affection. Think about that. A mom's natural inclination, God-given, even those that are unbelievers, they have a built-in inclination to nurture or take care of or protect their kids. He says, Paul is saying, in the end times, even that natural inclination even the natural affection will begin to disappear. That is scary. Jesus said that toward the end of time in Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said that toward the end of time, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Number two in your notes, but Christians, do not let your love grow cold. Do not let your love grow cold. There seems to be a correlation between the rise in sin and the loss of love in any society. And uh, there's lots of examples in the Bible for us, maybe none better than Sodom and Gomorrah. Very wicked city, depraved people. No love for anyone or anything other than themselves and their lusts. It's a picture of people without God's spirit in them. Sin-driven shells. They have a body and they have a mind but the soul is utterly corrupted and the spirit is dead. It's like zombies, the world filled with zombies, the walking dead. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're not a zombie. Yeah. You have the light of life in you and we see that John 8, 12. John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, even as as being Christians and being filled with God's spirit and the light of life, when we live in in places of darkness or we're surrounded by or we maybe open ourselves up too much to the negativity that's going on, it can wear on us and we can kind of forget who we are and what we're supposed to look like. And instead of living out of that love that God has placed in our heart, we kind of 
become like the world in our actions. And that love of God is still there, but it's hidden down deep in there and it's not coming out like it's supposed to come out. And it's kind of like a, um, if we see a pig rolling around in the mud, well, that's becoming of the pig. And that's right. But if we see a princess in all of her garb come and then start rolling around in the mud, we think, what's wrong with her? What is she doing? <laughs> if a prince gets off his horse a night and he goes and starts rolling in the mud, what's going on? And that's the same with us. We, we can start complaining and criticizing like the rest of the world. We can become very, let that annoyances and the grievances of life and the, the chaos of the world kind of turn us in. We start acting like the world. We look like the world instead of looking like the princesses and the princes that God has made us to be. And so... We need to make provision for intimacy with God. And we need to make sure that we're filled with his spirit. We need to limit our exposure to stimuli that is void of God's spirit. We need a healthy diet. We need to be filled regularly with the Holy Spirit. They will know that we are Christians by our love. Our love for God, our love for each other. Verse 13 1 John 3, 13, we move on. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Here John is contrasting God's command to love one another with that of the world's practices to hate one another. And in this verse, he informs Christians that they should not at all be surprised to be treated with hate by the world or by unbelievers. He says, if the world hates you, that means if it loves you less, if it detests you, if it esteems you less, if it pursues you with hatred, don't be surprised. Marvel not. Wonder not. Why am I being rejected? I want people to like me. We just spoke of people automatically feeling condemned, or Cain feeling condemned, not because... Abel was being judgmental toward him. Not because Abel was being legalistic. Abel was worshiping God. He was loving God. He was loving people. The few people that were on the earth at that time. (laughs) To unbelievers of the world as we're speaking, those that don't know God, God wants everybody to know him. But those who do not know him, who do not understand his character, who do not humble themselves before him, they question the motives of every other person because their own motives are impure. Titus 1.15 says, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Jesus told his disciples, he said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. I'm the sinless one. All I do is heal people. All I do is show the love of God, and they hate me. They're going to hate you. The Pharisees hated Jesus. And one of the greatest reasons why is because they could not find sin in him. His life exposed their hypocrisy. The sooner we can understand this reality, the better We cannot be shackled to the approval of others or be a slave to fear. God, help us. Help us. Give us boldness, Lord. Help me, Lord. 
There's a great deal of intimidation by mainstream media and social media for people to conform or to face ridicule, to be labeled, to be persecuted for their faith. Uh, freedom of speech is disappearing. Freedom is disappearing. Simply living as a child of God, your life is offensive to those who enjoy the darkness, who enjoy living in their sin. So maybe we talk about God's kingdom ways or his principles or his guidelines and, and we're called ignorant or intolerant or bigoted or haters or criminals. And what is our response when we're called that? What is your response when the world slaps you in the face? Oftentimes our response is something like this. I think we're like, God loves me, I love you. Why did you do that to me? How could you? We can't believe that the world wouldn't receive us, or that they call us such a thing. Don't they understand our motives? We have a corny made-up saying at the Beck household that we use when one of our kids gets hurt. And so if a kid gets hurt and they fall down and they, oh, I got an owie, and they're crying and we're crying. We say, oh, oh, oh come here, come here. I said, I said, did you say ouchie bouchy yet? And they're like crying. And they, they're still crying, but then they start laughing because that's not what they want to hear. And at the same time, we say, you need to say ouchie bouchy. And they say, ouchie, ouchie, and then they start laughing. And the idea behind it is, recognize it and get over it. Recognize it, oh, you got hurt? Okay, you got hurt. And then, okay, you got hurt. Say, ouchie, bouchie. <laughs> and then keep going. Anybody want to borrow a ladder from me so you can climb up and get over it? Two people thought that was funny. I thought that was hilarious when I'd heard that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't be surprised. Paul, uh, John is saying, don't be surprised, guys. Don't, and don't let that paralyze you. And don't, and don't uh, turn inward and be done for the day and the week and put your head in the sand. Um, ouchie bouchie. Verse 14, if... We love our brothers and sisters who are believers. It proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. What is a primary evidence that we are saved from the judgment of God? This is very good right here. It's that we no longer see others as threats or obstacles or competitors. Instead, we're filled with affection for truth allegiance towards God's kingdom, compassion for people. We have purity of motives. We don't pretend to love others. We don't try to act like we're loving others. We don't try to even be loving. We just are loving. That's right. There's a love inside of us that wants to come out. It's a new disposition that we have. We don't think too much about ourselves or of our insecurities because we're too busy thinking about how much God loves us, 
how much he loves people, how can we help people understand who God is and what he's like and how good his rules are and guidelines are. Jesus talked about being one with the Father, um, that the Father was in him. He would tell people, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me. I say what he tells me to say. I do what he tells me to do. And before Jesus is crucified, the night before he's crucified, he prays a prayer for you. And it's in John 17, verses 20 through 23. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, and he's praying right before he's crucified. And he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, so, that, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. When a person has really placed their faith in Christ and experiences his spirit living within them, it becomes impossible not to love. And that's what John's saying. Imagine a coffee pot pouring into a mug. Can that mug take on the hot contents without steam rising out of it? And will not the love of Jesus come out of us when it is poured into us? Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Does this mean that we won't have moments of disagreement or that we won't be annoyed, that we won't suffer, that we won't experience anger? No, but dig deep enough and there's still an underlying love that's down there. And, and you can see this uh, maybe in your family where Bobby is very irritated by Susie, but when it comes down to it, there's still a loyalty and a care that exists beneath the fray. Yeah. And we just need to let that out. The love of Christ is in there. Hey, if you are a follower of Christ, you put your, you've experienced the love of God. Um, and maybe when we talked about the thermometer today and putting that in, you're thinking, holy cow, I haven't thought about that for a while. That that's the evidence of my salvation and I don't have much evidence right now. I've been stifling it. I've been just rolling around in the mud not living, being what I am. I'm a Christian. Not allowing the love of God to come out of me. Well, it's down there. It's good to, to practice talking to Jesus during the day. Sometimes we're just, we get used to making all of our decisions with this, our minds. And we're doing what we think is wise, and we're trying to be discerning, we're trying to do the right thing. But we're just, we don't talk to Jesus, we don't talk to God. There's kind of a lack of intimacy. Maybe your faith has become rote memory, or kind of historical records, but it lacks intimacy with the Holy Spirit because your ratios are off. You've been influenced by more than you know by secular humanism, just your experiences or your rational thinking. You're placing so much weight on that, you're rejecting the revelation that comes from Jesus Christ.
Just get back to talking. Just get back to listening. Being still and quiet before him. Keeping love alive. Three good questions to consider. Do you care about the people in this room? Do you care about the people, the Christians around you? Do you care about them? Do you care about them in your heart? Do you harbor jealousy or envy toward your brother or sister? Are you able to cheer as loudly for them as you would for yourself if they succeed in something? Do you see your brother or sister as an obstacle to your success or promotion? If only I was surrounded by a better supporting cast, I would be recognized or esteemed more highly or I'd get further along. Lord, we repent of stifling your love, of being large and in charge and um, negating intimacy with you. And we need to experience your love, Lord. We want to be washed and filled with it, Lord. This morning... Verse 15, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So verse 14 coupled with verse 15 shows us that love is the proof, number four in your notes, of salvation. If you love, if you have real love, you win. If you hate, you ain't. There's two teams. It's only two teams. Jesus said in Matthew 6.15, he says, if you f- refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. You're a lover or a hater. You're on God's team or you are not on his team. And there's not a third team. There's two teams. The actions of Cain and the actions of Esau and Pharaoh and King Saul Those are visible actions that we can see, but the thoughts and the intents of the heart that they have are the same intents and thoughts of any heart that is not a a follower of Jesus or believer in God or experienced the Holy Spirit inside of them. Cain went after Abel. Esau went after Jacob. Pharaoh went after Moses and the Jews, people of Israel. King Saul went after David. You see that? What a pattern, huh? Yeah. That is a hateful pattern. And, and the converse of those, Abel had no, no bones with Esau. Uh, Jacob uh, forgave Esau and apologized to Esau for his wrongs. Moses with Pharaoh King David forgiving Saul, who's kept trying to kill him, forgiving him, loving him. <clears throat> In Matthew 5, 21 through 22, Jesus said, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. In the verse we read prior, verse 15, notice that John writes uh, that those who hate don't have eternal life 
within them. Interesting that he says within them. They don't have eternal life within them. Why does he say that? Instead of just saying they don't have eternal life, he says they don't have eternal life within them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is what gives life. And when you put your faith in Jesus, God puts his Holy Spirit in you. And you have eternal life. The seed of eternal life. It's planted in you. Romans 8 Verse 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Verse 16, 1 John 3, verse 16, we move on. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Here is love defined. Here is love defined. Many of you have heard this a thousand times. Here it is again. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus intentionally and purposefully died for us, and he meant to. He claimed to be the promised Messiah who was to die for the sins of humanity and provide forgiveness to all who would receive it. Unless people realize and admit that they are drowning in guilt and self-reliance or self-righteousness, I say unless they grab hold of the life preserver that God has thrown to them in the person of Jesus Christ, they will drown in their sins. They will not receive the gift of immortality. How do you receive forgiveness and eternal life? By turning to Jesus right where you sit or right where you stand. Do you want to be accepted by God? Then accept the gift that he's provided you with, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Commit to trusting in him with all your heart and following him as your master all the days of your life. Surrender your heart and your mind to the love of God and to his rightful authority. I tell you, if you do so, Jesus himself will fill your heart and his mind with his own spirit. He will grant you eternal life in that very moment He'll begin the process of transforming you from this day forward, making you more like himself. Not saying that you will suddenly inherit wealth or that you will not suffer anymore, that you will not have hardships or that you will not be tempted. But but what I am telling you, and what the Bible does tell us, and what the Holy Spirit would tell us this morning, is in that very moment, in the moment that we choose to put our faith in Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. We're fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully redeemed. We're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from death to life, and we'll never be the same again. You'll not only experience the love of God in you, you'll be filled with love for all people. If you haven't done that or if you're watching today, do it right now in the next five, 10 seconds. Admit to God, God, I'm a sinner. I put my faith in your Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And you will recognize, realize a difference in the moments and days ahead. Verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? 
Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show the truth by our actions. Number six, put love into action. It talks about whoever holds the world's goods or who holds the world's life and sees a brother who is holding necessity. If that first person shuts down or closes down their emotions or their heart or their feelings away from or against their brother, where does the love of God abide in him? The verse isn't saying that we give our money to everybody who asks of it. And there's people that play the game. We used to, um, we recognized um, some time back that there are people that just go through the phone book um, that live in Dane County. They'll go through the phone book and call every single church in Dane County for money once a month. They, that's how they, they call through all the churches. Hey, I'm, I'm down on my luck. I'm sorry. And they're scammers. And we call, we talk to other pastors and other people. Oh, he called us too. He called us too. Like, wow. And... Um, yeah, there's people with the latest iPhones, their nails done up every week, but they need money for... Uh, here's the point. Do not err on the side of stinginess and hoarding. If we're going to err, let's not err on the side of stinginess and hoarding. Let's give. As Jesus was God's ambassador to us, so are we to love with actions and to give of our time, energy, resources, health, to see others reconciled to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. Life Church is filled with generous people. They're giving to the church. And besides giving to the church, we see them giving to people in need in the community on a regular basis. It's a powerful expression of God's love. When you see yourself doing unselfish things and loving people with God's love, it will give you confidence, not a self-arrogance, but a sense that God is having his way inside of us. It's so fulfilling to see or experience yourself being used by God as a vessel for God's spirit to help someone in some way. It feels so good when you know that God has just taught or encouraged or challenged or loved someone through you. It's like, whoa, God just did something cool through my life. And that's not my natural inclinations to do that. I'd rather be alone and doing something else. But somehow God put a passion in there to do something. Yeah. And, and I let, let it flow out. And uh, you'll feel the pride and pleasure of God upon you. He's like, yes, yes, let me have my way in your life. Our obedience to God's spirit doesn't help God love us more, but it helps us become more aware of his good presence in our life. When we obey his commandments and his promptings, we experience greater perspective, keener insight, stronger faith as a result. Friends, what's God speaking to you today in regards to loving one another? This morning, is God um, putting it on your heart to let that love come out to overtake whatever resentment or bitterness might be forming uh, a bit of a scale over your heart uh, to let love take preeminence over politics and polarizations. Uh, maybe to lessen your intake of worldly news or social media or negative stimuli. Maybe to increase your time with the Lord or nurture the intimacy or return to your first love. Return to your first love. Let's pray.
God, you've spoken to us today by your word and by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for pursuing us today with your love. Lord, fill us with love afresh in our hearts. Even now as we wait on you. Have your way, Lord. Lord, let the kingdoms of our heart bow to the kingdom of you. Lord, you're capable of putting in our minds that which we need to know, directing us in the ways that we need to go. You're capable of fighting your own battles. Let us be concerned with, um, or let us be aware of your great love that you have for us. Let us see ourselves in that light. Let us be that to other people in Jesus' name. Amen.